frankly, after 60, for people who aren't there yet, um, you're going to have to really think about what you want to do because you no longer have the ability to force the will to do what's not in your highest good. So a lot of things you can let yourself do, you can't do anymore. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. I've been thinking about what drives racism, or for that matter, nationalism, or the long-standing feuds that can span decades in a family, or how it is that people seem to constantly divide up along the lines of us and them. I've been thinking about those on the wrong end of ideology who were labeled counter-revolutionary and taken down in China's cultural revolution, forced through a struggle session, made to admit their sins, and then rehabilitated by being destroyed. I've been thinking about how people in Russia, where my roots lie, were purged and killed for not being sufficiently on board with the social change of the day, where people who had skills and the ability to farm and be good at it were sent away to work re-education camps. Their sin was that they had a polished skill at producing grain and feeding people. In Rwanda, Hutu killed Tutsu. Indonesians, they killed the Chinese minority who often were financially successful due to the way they accumulated some material resources through persevering hard work. I don't need to remind you of Germany in the last century, the ethnic cleansing in the Bosnian War, or what has happened and is happening to black people here in the United States. We can slap on whatever label we want that allows us to disconnect from someone who's not like us. It's an old, tried-and-true method for dividing and distancing ourselves from another human being in such a way that we see them as lesser. We know exactly how this works, and it brings out the worst in us as human beings. What concerns me more is what's underneath. And what's underneath, I suspect, is hatred. And hatred's not something that resides in those that we dislike or disagree with or, or fear. It lies in our own hearts. What concerns me is the hatred in my heart, my own personal share of something we all experience and perhaps even feed. If there is a Shia Chia, a Chi that is truly evil, I would name that Chi hatred. That's the true pathogen. That's the seed from which self-righteousness and a desire for domination arise. If there is an original sin, I suspect it is not that we have knowledge of good and evil, but that we let the evil run us, that we have not awakened to our own personal share of hatred. And so we split it off and onto others, and then in an attempt to make the world a better place, we seek to destroy them. The problem with hatred is that it feels good. It feels good to stand up to the cops. It's invigorating to take down the man. Our righteous anger tastes good after tweeting out vitriol and aggression for the cause. Our own dark heart doesn't feel so dark to us. It feels like the right side of history. It feels like correcting an injustice. It can feel like we're making a positive difference in the world. I am not suggesting that we don't do what we can to repair the fractured and scattered light of this world. In fact, I think it's what we're here for. There are voices throughout all of history who have arisen to remind us of this impossible and necessary task. There's a saying from the Jewish tradition that says, it's not your responsibility to finish the work of perfecting the world, but you are not free to desist from it either. I suspect 
it might help to examine our own flawed hearts first. As doctors, we know it's vital to first do no harm. We are living through an emotionally charged time, and rarely do emotions show us one clear way to proceed. The world's not so one-dimensional, and our emotions often are deeply entangled together. So sometimes, it's not so easy to understand our own heart. Coming up in a few minutes is a conversation with Lillian Bridges on how emotions can intertwine in ways that bring confusion and sometimes have us working across purposes in our lives. Lucky for us, the lens of the five phases can help us to gain clarity for both our patients and for ourselves. I think you'll find that Lillian's insights into the dynamics of how emotions can intertwine will be helpful in your clinical work. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash Geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. 
Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Let's get into this conversation on how entangled emotions can impede the healing process and what we can do about it. Lillian Bridges, welcome back to Geological. Thank you. Hi. <laughs> Hi. It's great to have you here. You. We ran into each other last fall, back when people could run into each other, at the Pacific Symposium. You had done a delightful afternoon on face reading. I was especially, I, I guess, entranced, enticed. I was really, it, <laughs> something like that. The way that you were talking about being able to read the face and understand what's going on with the organs and how sometimes things like get enmeshed or entangled with each other. Yeah, that's a tricky, that's a tricky thing. Um, you know, because emotions are, they're they're necessary. We're human beings. We we need to emote. We need to you know, express and emotions and receive emotions and you know facilitates communication. The problem is, and it's not it's not a huge problem, but the problem is um, people tend to either overuse or underuse their emotions, and either one of those is not so good. I find the most difficult thing is not whether you express them or not. People tend to know how to do both, but. I find that when you have more than one emotion connected to each other, they're hard to disentangle. And so for a lot of people, for example, if you have grief and you have guilt because you didn't go see your father before he died as much as you wanted to, it's hard to undo the grief, you know, to work on the grief because the guilt is there. So you might have to do the guilt first before you do the grief. You know, it's like, and that's kind of a, a tricky thing to untangle because you don't nearly know that they are, they are tangled. That's why it takes so long. Well, exactly. And and the thing that really caught my attention, because you were talking about exactly this thing mm. last fall. And my mom had just died. <laughs> so I was talking about grief. It was the it was the perfect time yeah. to talk about that. I mean, you got to inhabit your own experience mm-hmm. and through inhabiting your own experience, share something with us that was very pertinent and very real. And this whole idea, because I you know, I'm not a psychologist or a psychotherapist or anything like that. So I don't, you know, I don't have a lot of training in, you know, how the human psyche works. And I tend to think of things in, in fairly simplistic ways. So it's like, oh yeah, they're dealing with grief or we're dealing with guilt or we're dealing with this or dealing with that. And when you start talking about how things get enmeshed and tangled together, mm-hmm. I thought that's right. And that's why it's so hard. It's it's really difficult. I, I work with you know clients all the time, and, the, and we talk about old traumas. And and mm-hmm. I find a lot of enmeshed emotions in old trauma um, when someone's had abuse, especially by someone that they love, you know, a parent or whatever. It gets 
love gets entangled with fear or gets entangled with, you know, anger. So you're seeing that entanglement. It's hard to process the relationship altogether and the traumas that occurred because the emotions are, are, are so conflicting and confused, you know, and, yeah, and, and maybe even opposite love and hate. Yeah. It's like, well, one of my, one of my students said, um, recently she said she realizes that her, the love that she got was pretty toxic. Mm-hmm. And so she's trying to separate out the fact that she was loved, even though she was loved in a way that she didn't want to get it, you know, that, that kind of thing. And so for her, there's a lot of anger in, in her relationship with her parent or with her mother. And she had to, to really look at that um, and, and separate those things out. It's like, sometimes her mother was quite wonderful, by the way, and sometimes she was quite terrible. And so she was really struggling with this kind of toxic love that she was, she was dealing with, you know, and I just said, okay, let's work on that. And that's one of the things I do is help people realize, you know, what are they feeling? And are there emotions that are entangled? Um, and most people have entangled emotions. I think you're right. Yes. I, I think you're absolutely right that, that we do. And that's why it's so hard, partly because they're entangled. Mm-hmm. And partly because we don't know that we're dealing with an entanglement. If we knew we were dealing with an entanglement, I suspect that already helps to untangle things because, mm-hmm. because on one hand we can go, oh yeah, there's that love piece. Oh yeah, there's that that uh, that resentment piece. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think what happens, and and this is something that I've I've talked a lot about to to parents. We need to teach our kids emotional intelligence. You know, it's like you kind of mm-hmm. have. To- and how to recognize what things feel like. I mean, when I was young, my grandmother used to say, okay, make that face. And what does that make you feel like inside? And then she said, say, okay, now when you're feeling something, watch what face you make. And she'd do it from both directions and say, pay attention to what you're feeling, right? And so I learned very young to separate, for example, sadness from grief, even though they're similar, they're not the same in terms of layers, right? Or, or sorrow and grief. She, she would make me practice that kind of emotional intelligence. So I did, I did teach my, my sons how to do that too. And I talk a lot about how we don't have that kind of training. So we don't know how to, to recognize what an emotion is. And you watch an ad that says, are you, you know, feeling sad, um, you know, um, unmotivated, all these things. And it's a, it's an ad for depression. Well, depression can't have all that stuff. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I mean, in Chinese medicine, a liver depression is the liver's not functioning properly. You don't, yes, you're not fully motivated, but sadness is not a liver emotion. It's a heart emotion. So I think it's a sad, it's, a, it's an emotion from the heart that goes to the lungs, but it's not part of the liver at all. And yet if the liver's not strong, you might feel sad because your fire isn't getting any, you know, uh, mother-child cycle, not getting any juice, you know? So this is really, I mean, when we learn Chinese medicine and emotions in the five phases, you know, it, it's very sort of stable. It's like, yeah, joy in the heart, sadness in the lung. What I just heard you talking about is sadness could come from the heart, but then it goes to the lung. Right. And it might even be because the liver's not strong enough to give enough fire to the fire. Yes, exactly. And for example, right now, what I'm seeing a lot of, which I think is really interesting, um, I'm seeing tremendous amounts of fear because everybody's terrified of, you know, this virus that we have, which, um, you know, don't watch too much news. That's all I have to say. But but you're going to see a lot of discoloration in the, in the chin area, like a darkness, a kind of shadowing. And you're also, if someone's chronically afraid, they're going to have like, you know, lines here or indentations or even orange pale kind of skin. So I'm seeing a lot of that. But I'm also seeing a lot of worry, which is up here. And worry mm-hmm. shows up right here. 
not in the impatience lines up here in the, in the forehead, but right here in this area that scrunches up when you're concentrating a lot or you're like, like, like right between the eyebrows, like, like right, right where Yintang is right, right between the eyes uh, above mm. right mm-hmm. here. Is impatience, annoyance, frustration, it's liver right here is spleen and right here is pancreas. So right this area right here, when it's got lines or it's congested is worry. So I'm seeing a lot of people who feel fear and worry. And I say, oh, are you worrying a lot? And they go, no, I go, you fearful? I go, oh, yeah, of course. So they'll own one of them. But actually what I'm seeing is a combination. Uh-huh. And they have what's called dread. Like dread is, in my opinion, a combination of worry and fear. So when we look back and people are traumatized by this time, that they're going to think, oh, I was really afraid. But they're not going to feel that the worry was also involved. So a lot of people I know, for example, are gaining weight right now. Even though they're eating really well, they're trying to do their exercises and all that, they're gaining weight. And I said, well artificial grounding when you're stressed out, but also because when your spleen is so involved, as spleen, stomach, pancreas are so involved with worry, it's going to make you gain weight because it's in your brain instead of your stomach, you know? So is it because the pancreas is weak that, that the worry, that the worry is making the pancreas weak and so there's weight gain or is there, is there some other mechanism going on here? I think weak too. It's, it's, it, I, I, you know, if you look at the parts of the body in Chinese medicine that give you energy, of course, mm-hmm. you have energy from the kidneys and you have, I mean, liver chi basically is the ability to, to do and move. And I think when you look at um, spleen, stomach, pancreas, you're, you're looking at um, something that you're, you're a system that's trying to create energy from food, which we'll talk about, I know, later. And I think when when the system is involved with the thinking instead of digesting food, it's going to cause a problem. So a lot of times people worry about what they're going to eat and then it makes it not good for them because they're worrying about it because then the energy is in their brain instead of in their stomach. So they're too busy digesting their ideas yeah. instead of digesting their food. And right now I'm seeing so much dread that people um, aren't recognizing they're doing both emotions together. And that actually is why they're having trouble getting through this because they have so much dread. And part of that is a projection to the future, you know, of negative outcomes, which I, I really watch myself. I, I don't allow myself to do that very much. <laughs> you know, I have things to do. Now, how, how do you do that? How do you manage to keep yourself present and out of the future. I mean, it's, I know it's very easy for all of us as human beings to either yeah. dwell in the past or project into the future. It's it's mm-hmm. part of the curious thing that makes us the critters that we are. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think if you're very um, developed of wood energy, you're going to do past. And you, Wood and energy goes to the past. Yeah. Wood always goes to the past. And it, it's, it's going to say things like, I want things the way they used to be. Well, nothing's ever the way it used to be. So that's actually like not logical at all. But but there's this really important um, energy of the of the wood element that goes. You know, I want, I'm going to look at the past. Okay, so they're very past oriented. With the metal element, it looks at the future, and it's going to have ideals about how things should be and how they w- you wish they could be and all those kinds of things. But both of those, as you know, don't keep you in the present. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to find things that keep you present. Um, for example, one of my friends who's very fiery got a puzzle, which I've never in my life thought she'd get a puzzle. Oh, seriously, this is like something she wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. It's the only thing that makes her stay in her body and kind of be here. And she's using it as a kind of like a, a moving meditation in a way, you know, kind of a concentration on every day. She does a little bit of it and, and it's helping her a lot. And I started laughing and I said, you got to find things to get involved in where you have a certain focus and that keeps you present. Otherwise, you're going to go off into 
oh my God, how long am I going to have to do this for? And what's going to happen? And ah, you know, or you're going to go back and go, oh, I'm so angry. I can't do what I used to do. I can't go to the, to the restaurant. I can't, you know, go to the grocery store easily. It's like that kind of stuff. So you're seeing people really playing out those two elements a lot. Yeah. I hadn't thought of a puzzle as a kind of visual meditation of a thing that you just bring yourself back and bring yourself back and here's yeah, something to well, focus I, on. I'm cooking a lot because, you know, you have to pay attention when you're cooking. Or you cut <laughs> your fingers off. Yes, I've had that experience. Yeah. Or you burn something. You get the broiler on. It's like, oh, God, there goes the garlic bread. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm curious about wood going to the past because when I think of wood, I think of that spring energy. I think of like that new plant coming up. I think of this out, this new outward aggressively outward and new energy. So I'm curious how that connects with past. It's the roots of the tree. It's the roots of the tree. Yeah. It's going back to the roots. So it's going back to the way things used to be. And, and it's, you know, it's opposite on the, the, you know, the, the five element chart where earth is in the center. It's opposite of, of course, of, of metal. And Mm -hmm. we know metal in the future. It's always about technology and all, you know, all the new, right. Uh, The new in a different way, new technologically, I should say. And so therefore, you're going to see it's the opposite, you know, in the five elements, and it's the roots. And in feng shui, it's, it's very well known that, that, you know, wood is where you deal with the past stuff, and metal is where you deal with the future stuff. <laughs> this is so interesting to me. So you've got this past root, mm-hmm. and I would suspect that a very healthy wood has its past root, but it's actually focusing its energy on that new sprout Upward. coming out. Upward, Upward and outward. Mm-hmm. But that's what always wants to go up and out, right? Mm-hmm. Three branches. And, and, unless it's going back and looking at its roots and going, remember back in the good old days when we could have a beer together? Yeah. <laughs> so I have friends who are doing virtual cocktail parties, <laughs> which I haven't done yet. <laughs> I've, I've got a neighbor down the street, and as soon as the weather warms up, it's been cold here. Um, we're planning to have some wine at a social distance level. <laughs> you know, you can't sit on the stoop together. But we could sit within 10 feet of each other. That's right. That's right. You know? We're just going to have to adapt, aren't we? <laughs> but, I, but I see a lot of people really struggling right now uh, with tangled emotions. And I also uh, recently said to one of my students, what I'm seeing a lot of is people are still enough right now because they're home. Mm-hmm. And all the issues are coming up. And yes. that's... That may or may not be fun. That's, that's all I have to say. It's like it may not be good for you, know, good, good, um, uh, for you to do. It may be great for you to do. But people are dealing with stuff you know they're they're stuck at home with a partner they're not so happy with maybe it's time for some conversations or you know they realize their kids are not you know doing as many chores as you'd like them to get and this is the time where you can get them to do chores again i mean it's all kinds of stuff that's coming up you know you missing your mom or whatever it is yes the um i'm thinking about our breakfast table this morning which feels really different usually it's it's, it's breakfast is kind of a happy thing Mm-hmm. And in these days, I wouldn't say it's unhappy, but it's like there's there's definitely a cloud. This is like this is like palpable cloud, and it's hard to speak about. Yeah, it is, and and you feel kind of guilty if you if if you know, look, I'm safe, you know, I'm healthy, and mm-hmm. and yet I'm I'm complaining and I'm unhappy. It's like it's it's kind of a hard thing. It's like oh, you know, thank God I'm not sick, but I'm not happy. Yes. And I'm just trying to get ha- to be happy that I'm alive, you know. It's like I'm happy. <laughs> so we're we're kind of back to this tangled emotion thing. Now, you have kind of a secret weapon 
uh-huh. uh, you know, you learn from your grandmother. I, I loved you talking about her like, oh, when you feel this way, make that face. I mean, that's that's a Chinese face reader being taught at an early oh, yeah. age, that's right? That, that's your training. Old-fashioned apprenticeship method. Yes, and, and very embodied. Yeah, a funny story about one of my students who's, who's a, um, a great a great face reader, um, Saffron Elledge in England. But we were discussing this line right here, the chin that says that, you know, if you overuse your body, then you're going to have to retire when you're between 60 and 62 because your body's going to be tired out. And, and, and frankly, after 60, for people who aren't there yet, um, you're going to have to really think about what you want to do because you no longer have the ability to force the will to do what's not in your highest good. So a lot of things you can make yourself do, you can't do anymore. We were talking about there are probably other meanings that we don't know enough about. And she said, well, how about this one? She, and she said, so put her hand in her chin. And she said, look what, look what happens when you push your chin like this. I'm not very happy. Mm. Her chin up, And that makes the line. She goes, that's also a line of resignation that you are accepting. This is the way it is and you can't change it. So, you know, you don't want to do it, but you feel like you have to do it. And luckily after 60, you can't do it. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, you can't. It's a, she came up with that that term and it was like brilliant. You know, so she was doing exactly what I taught my students to do, like I would taught me is make that face figure out how you make that face. You know, what does that mean? What does it feel like? Yeah, so you can get it from the inside. Yes, yes. So you get and it from the inside. I think people just have to be still enough too to to feel what they feel. It's like I think we spend so much time as human beings avoiding some of the feelings we don't want to feel. And it's so easy in this world. There's Netflix. There's a million sports channel. Well, do do right. they still have sports? Not right now. <laughs> so, a lot of replays, though. Yeah, we're going to have to like deal with this stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Things to deal with. You just said something, and I, I want to come back to the emotions here in a moment. It's a thread that's going to run through this conversation. But you just said that after the age of 60, you don't really have the will to do things that aren't in your highest good. It's yeah. not that you don't have the will, but you don't have the will to do what's in your highest good. It's what, I had a good, great conversation with Ted Kapchuk years, years ago. I love one of his phrases. He calls it the will that can't be willed. It's part of what I call your golden path, you know, or, or, or the Chinese call your Ming. So mm-hmm. as long as you're doing something that's in your highest good, your Ming, you know, your mandate from heaven, your golden path, you're, you're becoming your best self. Then after 60, you're allowed to, you can do it. You can find the energy to do the stuff that you're supposed to do. But I'll give you an example because I'm over 60. Um, I have never been a terribly social person. I actually find conferences kind of intimidating. I love seeing the people, but I also get overwhelmed sometimes by the number of people that I see. It's kind of like, oh, so much talking, you know? And so uh, people don't realize I'm a bit of an introvert. And I'll, I'll show you a cute little trick. This is a fun one. If you put a straight. So, so, so I, just, I just want to mention to folks, um, Lily and I can see each other because we're using software that lets us see each other. But but all but y'all out there in radio land, you're not going to be able to see this. So let's describe it as if they can't see you. Oh, yeah. So yeah. you take a, a straight edge, whether it's a pen or a pencil, or whatever, and you put it on your brow bone and on your cheekbone, right in the center of your eye. Okay. And not don't press too hard, but just very lightly hold it on your brow bone and your cheekbone, and then open and close your eye. Okay, if you can open your eye completely, That's you're a me. natural introvert. I have that, you have that. If you get stuck halfway in between, you're in between an introvert and extrovert. If you get stuck and you can't open your eyelid, you're an extrovert. Okay, so knowing that, 
you can see who's going to do well with isolation, who isn't. So all the introverts are going, oh, this is a really, <laughs> I'm perfectly happy. I feel a little guilty about that too. But you're going to see right away that there's there's something that, that says, look, I charge better because I'm an introvert by myself. Other people charge with other people. So they're suffering like crazy right now because they're not charging. There's no one or not enough people around to charge from. So when I go, when I uh, was younger, I tried really, really hard to be social. I tried to go to my, with my girlfriends to a bar on Friday night. Back then it was TGI Fridays. Oh, terrible place. But <laughs> I mean, because it was a meat market. But, you know, I would try to go out and have drinks and socialize or go dancing. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I just want to go home and read a book. I just want to go home and read a book. You know, I'm really, I really, I struggled so much. And a lot of my friends are very social. They have dinner parties. And I love my friends. And I'm happy to go to a small dinner party, but a big dinner party or a big you know, cocktail party is kind of like, <gasps> especially if I don't know people. And I used to make myself do it. I'd make myself go. And, and when I'm there, I'm fine. I'm socially you know, graceful most of the time. And I do a good job at a party. It's just that I get tired from a party. And then I turn 60. <laughs> I can't just make can't myself do it. go to the parties. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll go, but it's like, it's so hard now. It's like my body goes, yeah, not in your highest good to go to a party right now. You know, so once in a while I'll go and people are going, oh, wow, Lily, it's so nice to see you. You know, or I'll go to a conference or something. But it's it's my body doesn't want that anymore. And so I, I, I can't say yes right away because I don't know if I can go or not. I'll just go, well, I've got something booked. Let me let me see if I can move it around. And I'll go, sorry, I can't come. You know, yeah, I just... I have to watch it because my body doesn't want to. It's like I can't make myself do it. This is, I think, one of the real benefits of aging, at least it has been for me, is that the older I get, the more I'm okay with my really quirky self. So I can remember when I was young, same sort of thing. It's like, hey, it's Friday night. We're going to go do these things. It's going to be fun. I would hate it. It wasn't fun. It's like, what's wrong with me? Uh Because this isn't fun. And it's nothing wrong with you. It's just that you're trying to be something that you're not, you see. And and so the good news is every every decade has a different you know, lesson. The one at 50, mm. which I also really loved, um, and I did, I did it fairly well at the time, was you are supposed to not care what other people think about you anymore. And if you can get through that one, then you can stop doing what you don't want to do. So you have to kind of do things in <laughs> degrees. So if someone thinks... God, you're such an introvert. It's like, yeah, I am. So what? Yeah, I am. And, and, you know, and I love you dearly and I'll see you sometimes. (laughs) Hello, everyone. Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well integrated diagnostic theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of yang, the primal reservoir of yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. 
It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. I had, I got the greatest birthday present on my 50th birthday. Did you? What did you get? I did. I got a panic attack. Oh my God, you poor baby. No, it was, it was, well, yes. In, in the midst of it, I was in Nanjing, China. I was working on the book that I was translating and I was all excited because I was going to go to Yixing and get some teapots or, the day I turned 50. So I'm on this little bus on the way from Nanjing to Yixing and I'm about halfway there. This little bus, all these people are smoking. You know, it's, it, it's China. It's a mess. And, but I've been, you know, I've been living in China and I knew my way around, but all of a sudden I was flipped out. I'm thinking, oh my God, what am I doing? I mean, I'm in the middle of this like crazy bus ride. I don't have a house. I don't have a partner. I don't have a retirement account anymore. All of the things that I thought I was supposed to have at the age of 50. Yep. I don't have any of them. Mm-hmm. And, and I was freaking out. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was all by myself having a panic attack. And I don't know where this stuff comes from, Lillian, but a voice in my head basically said, okay, all right, fine, Michael Max, maybe, maybe you really have screwed this up completely. So what of the past 10 years of your life would you have changed to have a different outcome at this moment? And I looked back on those past 10 years and I would not have changed anything, nothing none of it, not one thing. And so it was like, well, then I guess my idea of what 50 was supposed to be needs to be rewritten. That's right. And so the thing is, what you're doing is taking away all that socialization that says these are the things that you should do or be at this age. You're going, well, I'm not that. Is that okay? (laughs) I just spent the next few years kind of going, I think I'm okay. I think I'm good. And by the way, I was right there with you at 50. (laughs) (laughs) earlier than yours, but, but no, I, I felt, I went through kind of the same thing. And this is where the wood element very, very often wants to compare like, it's, uh-huh. you know, it's a competition thing. It's like, I'm going to compare, but I, I said to someone one time, so she was saying to me, Oh, my friend is, you know, she's 62 and she's retiring and I'm not, I still have to work. And I said, would you want her husband? <laughs> would you want her kids? <laughs> would you want her house? <laughs> even she goes, no, God, no. I go, then, why are you comparing? It's not even apples and oranges. It's like it's not even a fruit. It's like apples and like, you know, something apples else. Apples and BMWs. Yeah. It's like, it's like, why are you comparing? Because it, what, what it does is it makes you really unhappy. And so I look at that and kind of go, don't don't compare. It's, it's hard not to compare because there's, there's these milestones you think you're supposed to have. But I don't know. I, I think you're probably a lot more free than a lot of people. And freedom is a good thing. Freedom is a good thing. Mm. Um. Although it usually means you're a standard deviation or two, maybe three from the top of the bell curve. And, and so, you know, it also makes you kind of, you know, an odd duck. It does. It does. I mean, it, I have to tell you, people have said to me repeatedly over my life, I can't believe you make a living doing this. And I go, if you can make a living doing facing, you can make a living doing anything. I swear. It's like, I'm a good example of like how not to be like in the center of the bell curve. Yeah. So... That, that's such a good question. I mean, I, 
I mean, we're here in the middle of COVID-19, which I think has everybody, you know, at least us, I'm thinking of our acupuncture community. And, and, you, and you reach bigger communities, so I'm curious to hear your sense of it because you, you swim in bigger ponds than I do. But it seems to me that in our acupuncture community, it's like everybody's a brand new, freshly minted graduate because who am I and what am I doing right now? We all have that question. You could have been practicing 30 years. And the question at this moment might be, who am I and what do I do here? Well, I think what, what, what I see in people is that everyone has critical transitions and they're usually predicated on the, the time period before and after decade birthday, but they're sometimes caused by crises and especially large crises like natural disasters and and things like this particular pandemic. Um, it's it's really an opportunity to reassess. And uh, some people really don't like reassessing, right? They, they, they want things to be the way they've been or they... They had goals and plans, and and it's very hard for someone who has goals and plans not to achieve those goals and plans because you know there's there's dictates that are preventing them from doing whatever they want to do, or traveling here, or going there, or, you know, or or making this much money this year, you know. And I think the the thing that I I would love to tell people is that there's such value and adaptability, and that's why I think our medicine is so valuable because I do consider myself primarily part of the Chinese medicine community, this medicine is phenomenal for adapting to different circumstances. And this is why when you have a disease, we don't, we don't treat people by the disease, we treat them by their symptoms. And that's why we're adaptable because we're doing symptoms, not diseases, right? And we're also looking at what's this person made of in the first place? What are the resources that they have that they're not connected to? And what can what can we build up and what can we support and what can we make stronger? And so I think this medicine is actually very timely. And, and I personally think that no one's really talking about it very much right now. But the reason one of the reasons why China did so well is because they were doing so many herbs for combinations for this um, for the for the you know the virus, in, especially in Wuhan. And and there's a lot of herbology that's, that's coming out now that's saying, wow, these things really work. Of course they're not mainstream, but but we're hearing about them. Here's this formula and this formula. It's like, it's great. Yes. They're not mainstream. They're more mainstream in China. They're complete, I mean, completely not mainstream here. In fact, there's articles out these days about how awful Chinese medicine is and we're, you know, killing rhinos and all this other stuff. We've actually been getting some bad press lately. But but that aside. It's, the reason is because it works. <laughs> You've got to remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's blowback, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. But we know it works and we may not be mainstream, but of course we can help the people that were, that are in our sphere of influence. Right. Absolutely. And, and there's that. In this time of reassessment and reconfiguration, what are, from your point of view, what are some of the organs that we would particularly want to both support and also lean on? Right. So like, let's say someone's really woody. I'm kind of a woody character. Right. Myself. Mm -hmm. So what could I do to like ease up that wood a bit and allow myself to transition into maybe what the next phase of my life actually is? Right. Well, you're, you're going to see something really interesting happen um, when you have crises like this. And that is you're really going to start recognizing what your habits are. And, and a lot of behavior is habitual. And one of my students um, 
commented one time that it takes 66 days to make a new habit. Mm. So I think we're, we're not there yet. We're not even at 66 days. So people are still fighting against this idea of staying home. And, and with the wood element, especially, I find that wood and fire are probably having the hardest time. Um, wood because it, it can't do what it wants to do and fire because it's not having enough fun with enough people, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm seeing those as the two elements that are struggling a lot. And what I would say about wood and about this time period altogether is that we're being given a chance to stop being so young. And because the Western world is so unbelievably young and has been for, you know, since the industrial revolution, probably we're being, we're being given a chance to rest and rest is hard for someone who's wood. And so it really builds up the wood. So when you can do again, you'll have the energy to do better. I find a lot of wood people have been very brittle because they were, operating on energies that, that were trying to pull from their, their, their source, you know, the, the Jing. I think right now we can really get that rest in order to start doing better. Um, and also looking at how much stuff that we did was extraneous, mm-hmm. you know, like how much we don't need rather than how much we think we do need. I have a lot of friends who were very compulsive about shopping and they said to me, all I'm buying right now is groceries, you know, and I was going, I guess I really don't need all that stuff that I thought I was going to buy. I was going to buy a new car, but you know, my old car is working fine. I don't even go anywhere right now. And there's that kind of reassessment that says, I don't have to be so um, concerned about status, for example, which wood office is concerned about. So you're seeing a chance for wood to be supported by a lifestyle that actually needs more of than it's ever had. You know, since you were young, when your mom put you down for a nap, you know, it's like, <laughs> there was a reason why you had a nap in kindergarten, you know, it's like um, kids get tired out and, and as adults, we get tired out, but, but now we have a chance, maybe not to take naps if you hate naps, but I happen to like them, but also just stop doing so much. And we're seeing that not doing so much might be good. So I'm, I'm seeing that. Um, and you'll see the frustration because the wood wants to go somewhere. Um, I, I tell most of the wood people I work with, they need to find some projects. Projects are kind of important. You might want to reorganize something. You might want to build something. It's like create a project that has a start date and an end date. You know, it's like it do something specific that you know makes something. And you're going to see that's going to help a lot. You know, with the fire element and the socialization, I'm getting an awful lot of phone calls and an awful lot of Skype calls and Zoom calls. Which, by the way, I have taken most of them. <laughs> Uh, or I've you know arranged for a different time for them. People are finding a way to be social without meeting. And who knew that we could find such interesting ways to, to connect? I mean, some of my closest friends that I actually haven't stayed very much in touch with because I live across the world, I've talked to more since March than I've talked to I don't know maybe in a couple of years. <laughs> we have like every two weeks we're on we're on Zoom together. Yeah, it's a huge reconfiguration. It is. So we're still being social. It just doesn't, I think what people are missing is the, the Shen to Shen connection that happens in person. Yes. I miss going to restaurants and, and just being around like the group that I'm with Yeah, in a context of other people doing the same thing. Right. There's something nourishing about that. I mean, even, even as an introvert, there's a certain amount of of connection and just knowing them in a place that's connected. I can go to a coffee shop and be by myself and just knowing that I'm like in this 
field of activity and connection allows me to focus down and really get some work done. It's very curious yin yang kind of thing like that. I really miss that. Yeah, and we're going to find that we, we we have things that we miss terribly. I mean, for me, it's much more about just being able to go grocery shopping whenever I want to, rather than thinking about, okay, I'm going to just go- And not hold your breath. Yeah, and, and have to wear a mask, which I really don't like masks, you know, and, and really think about like washing my hands a zillion times. I washed my hands a lot before this, so I I have to say, it's like, oh, it, there's, a, there's a lot of, uh, you know- it's like my, my sister once said she didn't like Seattle because she had to wear too many clothes. I feel like that with masks and gloves and things. Like, it's too much stuff to put on, you know. But I just miss that freedom of being able to go wherever you, whenever you wanted to. You know, that, that mm-hmm. to me is kind yeah. of like that spontaneous ability to just like go do something. It's like, not here. Well, that's, that's, that's your would be unrestricted, right? So we all have these different emotions, you know, especially with, with this whole COVID thing. I want to come back to the, to the entanglement piece for a few minutes. Because again, it's quite likely that more than one's coming up at a time. I suspect because of the work that you do, because you can look at a person, you can like you can look at a person, you can see what's like most prominent. I would suspect, and what's maybe and what's maybe secondary. You can probably see it. You just look at him and you go, "Oh yeah, well, there's this one, but this other thing's entangled inside of it." Mm-hmm. The emotions mark, you know, all the emotions that you've used a lot or repressed a lot are all show up. So you're going to see how strong the emotions are and which ones are the strongest. Sometimes you have two emotions that are very contradictory, equally strong. If you can't do face reading, Mm -hmm. this is like saying to an acupuncturist, you can't use needles. If you can't do face reading, how would you work with that kind of thing? How would you tease that apart? Or, Or do you really need to know how to look at it and see it and see what's in front of you before you're able to intervene? They have lots of ways. I mean, I, you can tell what what elements people are by what they eat. I mean, I used to spend a lot of time on airplanes, right? Which is actually something I'm happy I'm not doing right now because I was doing too much of it. And I'd be on an airplane in Europe and they give you more snacks in Europe than they give in America. And they would offer you either cookies or chips. And I would just watch who'd take the salty and who'd take the sweet. And some people would say I want both. And they'd give them both because they're really generous, right? And I just watch who would take what because it was so interesting to watch the people who want the salty, crunchy stuff versus the sweet, you know, soft cookie or cake or whatever. And it's like, wow, that person's got a lot more earth than me because I, I don't take the cake or cookie. I take the crunchy, salty stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I always take the potato chips over almost anything else, French fries too. But, but that's just – it's a thing. I, I crave salt. I own probably – maybe 14 different salts. So that right there tells you I've got a lot of water. Or people who have lots of sweets in their house, you know, they have they have dessert every day after dinner or whatever, or an afternoon snack that's, you know, fruit or whatever. They're very earthy. I don't have that. You know, so you can tell by food or you can tell by the colors that they wear, the styles that they wear, how they decorate their house. You can tell by the sound of their voice. One of my friends, Dee Davis, is a great um, voice coach, and she talks a lot about people's voices. And it's really easy to tell someone with the wood voice because there's a gravelly sound in the voice. Like, you know, that whiskey voice or that smoker's oh, voice? Oh, yeah, yeah. Tom Waits. Yeah, that's a wood ah. voice. And, and it's, it's also got that ability to be really like – strong and I was, I was joking about this years ago but um i don't have a wood voice and so when i was trying to train my dog he didn't listen to a thing i said you know just keep barking and you know pan look at me like what, what do you want so and i remember one time my my son who's very woody and he's very athletic and all that i'm we're, we're talking on skype because he's living in a foreign country and my dog is barking like crazy and he just goes roxy 
like in, in his wood voice, the dog stops and looks around and says, what's that? <laughs> she literally stopped because the wood voice told him. The wood commanding voice was heard. Over and over again, doesn't do anything. I just don't have that wood authority that comes out through your throat. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> My voice is much softer, much gentler. <laughs> it doesn't work for training dogs. Right. So we would just use our basic understanding of the phases in our Chinese medicine. I mean, really at its root. Yeah. However you can find it to, to look at it. But you can do it by activities. Like what do people like to do? Anybody who likes to hike, especially going up is very woody. Mm-hmm. Like I have to tell you another funny thing. I, years ago I was married to a woodman, and he loved to go hiking. And I said, I don't, I don't like hiking. I don't like going up. He goes, yeah, but going up is the best part. I go, I don't, I don't like going up. I like going down. He goes, oh, going down is really hard. I go, no, going down is really easy. I said, I can walk down to the beach and I can walk on the beach, but I don't like to walk back up again. He goes, that's really weird. He's like, like why do you like that? I go, because I'm water. Water has really strong knees. <laughs> it's like, I, I like going down. I don't like going up. I'm fine at going down. And he couldn't understand why I didn't like going up. I said, I'll go downstairs, but I won't go upstairs. <laughs> it's like, it's very odd, but it's just, a, it's a thing. You know, it's water versus wood. Not in a bad way. It's just a thing. No, it's just, it's just what it is. Yeah. yeah. But so I tell him, do you like to go up or down? Do you like, you like salt or sweet? Do you like, you know, I just ask him questions. They're great questions. Yeah. And they're relevant. Yeah, they are. Yeah. And I, it helps. And I think uh, I have a, a really good friend, Alicia Silva Villanueva in Mexico, and she's she's really funny. She her, one of her favorite quotes is, "To love someone else is to forgive them for not being you." Now I added on an addendum, and I added on and not doing it your way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll just give you an example. I once had an ex who thought that loading the dishwasher was a Tibetan sand painting. Okay, <laughs> in other words, I never did it right. <laughs> Okay. This is temporary art, right? And I said to him finally one day, if you care so much about how it's loaded, then you get to load the dishwasher every time. Because I don't care. I just want to get them washed. Well, but you wash them. Better. I go, to love someone else is to forgive them for not being you and not doing it your way. It's like, my way is different than your way. Do whatever you want. I'm going to do my way. You do your way. And I think that's really helpful. And I think when you understand the elements really, really well, you stop punishing someone else for not being you and not doing it your way. It's like your way is different. I like going down. He likes going up. You know, it's like, so what? So the person who has to load the dishwasher just exactly so. Yeah. Is that, is that an earthy thing? What is no. that? Interestingly enough, it depends on how they do it. Okay. Oh. Because wood thinks their way is always the right way where metal goes for like the most efficient and the way that everything gets the cleanest. Do you know what I'm saying? So the, so metal, the opposites always look alike. And so wood and metal will have a little bit of a tug of war. They're saying, okay, is this more important? Or is that more important? Wood will say, I want the most dishes in there possible, right? <laughs> like, Let's wash them all. <laughs> and metal will say, no, you should leave some out because they're not you know, getting enough water. So you'll see it's different. One's, one's kind of efficient and one's kind of like organized. One's orderly and organized. The opposites look alike. We do, that, but uh, yeah. it's different. Yes. So I'll give you an example. So a wood person will say, you didn't load the dishwasher right, and they'll redo it. Okay. A metal person will see that it's not loaded the way they want to, and they'll very quietly 
reorganize, reorder it. The one person will say, you didn't do it right. Here's the way you do it. And metal will just go, oh, oh dear. And it'll just like quietly fix it and then turn it on. Which is the one that'll kick you out of the kitchen and say, you're not allowed near my dishwasher? Wood. <laughs> because underneath there is like this frustration. Mm. So if you find the emotion underneath the action, then you know what element it is. You find the emotion under the action, and then you know what element it is. So if a metal person sees a dishwasher that's like kind of stacked really funny, they'll go, oh dear, oh dear. There'll be anxiety, right? There'll be anxiety because they know that the dishes won't get clean. They'll have to rewash them. And metal doesn't like to do things over again. So they'll reload it in a way that makes all the dishes get clean. So, so yeah, the, and the emotion of anxiety will go away as soon as it's done the way they need to do it. And wood will say, get out of here because I'm going to do this. And they'll go, oh, okay, I can do it best, which, which is wood, you know. <laughs> it's nothing wrong with it. my way or the highway. That's all. You know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's not to understand. It's simple. Wood's actually, in my opinion, one, one of the simplest elements to understand. And what's cool about it is what people can get mad and because they're over it so fast, they're easier to forgive because they don't hold grudges and stuff. It's like they get mad, it's over, it's done, you know where you stand, it's all good. It's kind of cool. I don't do that. I, and, and, unless they're deeply enmeshed in the past. Yes. And then they're going to hold- And up. then you get that resentment thing. Yeah. But usually other elements are even better at resentment than the liver, liver people. Really? Liver people. Yeah. It's very interesting. So, and does resentment look different through the different phases? Well, there's, a, there's an area of the face right between the eyebrows- it's, it's where yin tang is. And it's like, you know, it's about a silver dollar size area right around there. And, and that area has a lot of interesting connotations. So, for example, one of the things that shows up there when it's rumpled is, is, is you know, frustration, irritation, impatience, all that. But resentment is also lodged there. So if it doesn't go, if you if you do it when you're frustrated, and it goes away when you're not frustrated. You're fine. But if it stays that way, it means there's resentment involved because it's underneath the surface. It's like it's holding on to it, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's when you see it. Now, if you have another really weird one, I forget to teach this all the time. It's really interesting. And I have way too much of it. If you can take your fingers and pinch on your forehead so that you, the flesh comes loose from your forehead, you have too much guilt. That's inverted wood inverted wood you can yeah. pinch your if you can get like a flesh in your finger chunk of flesh yeah invert so that's guilt that's stored guilt that's guilt <laughs> yeah it's it's wood that doesn't have any place to go say more about that um well it's an interesting emotion because it's it's like mangrove swamps <laughs> where the roots of the tree are more important than the leaves or the branches you know and so it's um anger towards oneself and so it's inverted liberty and guilt is something i mean it can be obviously given to you by someone else but you take it on and believe it and so you, you kind of, and then it's yours yeah it's yours you punish yourself i think there was a movie by charlie charlie sheen was in i don't know what the movie was it was wasn't memorable but the line he said was really funny he said um pack your bags we're going on a guilt trip he was having an argument with his girlfriend and i thought that was a great line <laughs> because somebody can definitely make you feel guilty whether it's your mom you know or, or catholic your, your, your catholic non, nuns at school or you know it's like people people can actually give that to you but it's when you take it on that you allow it to be something 
And I joke a lot about the fact that I have Chinese guilt, you know, because Chinese mothers are very good at giving you guilt. You know, oh, it's so painful to give birth to you, and look how you treated me. It's like, oh, <laughs> the teenagers kind of go, oh God, mom, <laughs> oh God, thanks, mom. <laughs> I heard there's Jewish guilt, of course, Catholic guilt. I mean, every culture has some kind of guilt. every every culture has its own flavor. Yeah, and and moms are particularly good at guilt. That's all I have to say. They're, they're particularly good. Well, they're better than death. Okay, so let me ask you about this. Yeah. Since we're talking about emotions that get entangled, right. guilt and love. There's a tricky one. And uh, okay, I'm going to say something a little controversial. I apologize ahead of time because I just no controversial. Yeah, you mean All right? <laughs> I only worry if I'm being taped. You know, um, most people don't actually understand love very well. I'm not saying I'm an expert by any means at all. Okay, but I'm just going to say. If you look at the fact that the Greeks had like, I forgot how many kinds of love they had. Do you remember how many? Five, seven, I have something. I don't know, but they they had a lot. They had a lot, I recall. And we have this one word. More than one. And I was talking to someone very recently who I thought was confusing pity with love. And she said, oh, I feel so sorry for him. If I break up with him, what's going to happen to him? thinking... Oh dear! Oh dear! I mean, it's res- it's called rescuing too, of course. But underneath it, that there's pity too. And 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 she was saying, oh, that that shows me how much I love him. And I'm going, uh, okay. I'm not going to say no. You don't love him. It's not for me to say that. I'm just saying, I was a bit confused. I also hear people say, you know, they confuse love and need, and they people confuse a lot of things. Like there's that one. Uh, that one saying, if you love someone, set them free. If they're yours, they'll come back. Kind of thing. Yes, and if they don't, they never were. Yeah, that's right. That whatever that. I'm sorry, to say I can't remember who who that's from. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's, it's you know, it's something that kids learn like in junior high, high school. That's where that first starts to get imprinted in your mind. And it's actually a very accurate thing to think about. If you love someone, you let them be who they are. You let them do what they need to do. If you know, it doesn't mean there isn't a connection to you, but it's, it's not that insecurity. It says, "Oh, I need you around me all the time, so I know what you're doing." Or yeah, I'm going to check your iPhone to see who you've written messages to. It's like, that's like not very loving, do you know? So I, I, I think that we have a lot of love gets entangled with lots of emotions. Yeah. Pity, guilt, fear too, probably. So many. Yeah, guilt, fear, probably all yeah. kinds of stuff, right? And I, I, I'm not saying people don't do love well. People can love very, very well, but there's... <sighs> oh, come on. Really? Is that really true? Think about all the popular love songs and breakup songs and how screwed up love is. Don't tell me love is easy. It's not. I don't easy. think it's easy at all. Actually, I, think, I think it's a natural human desire to love and be loved. I think when you start, you know, he's like the mm-hmm. parent-child thing, for example, any parent, mother or father, and that parent-child thing is is wonderful. It's beautiful, right? Um, but I think it gets perverted over time by, by all kind for all kinds of reasons. Um, I think it's easy to love. I think it's hard to love. Well, I think it's easy to love. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to love and forgive someone that you love for being who they are. Sometimes it is. Yeah. Like you were saying earlier, well, because we have expectations of how people are. Thinking. Honey, if you really loved me, you let me do the dishwasher the way I want to do it. <laughs> that That's kind of guilty tripping, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Pack your bags. So, so yeah, I I think um, in Chinese uh, culture, love isn't a huge thing except for parent-child in the parent-child cycle. Now that being said, I have to I have to 
bring up something my grandmother had a really interesting conversation one time. I said to her, well, what about romantic love? And she said, well, you have to love yourself first. I go, I go what? She said, parent, a parent loves the child because the child is part of them. So it's implying that you should love yourself because if you love your child because it's part of you, you should love yourself. So you should actually reparent yourself as well. You know, so she was trying to explain to me there's a cycle of love is actually about loving someone else as if they're you, which means you should love yourself. Okay, got that? And so if you love yourself, then you'll attract someone who loves you, you, not someone who you're pretending to be. So I, I used to do shrinking to fit. Like I was like one of those sponges that like you take out all the water to stick it into that little, you know, capsule. <laughs> I was like, I was one of those people. Like just like squeeze myself into some little mold so I could be with that person. And I stopped being that person. But this didn't happen every time, but several times. I, I wasn't really wanted because I wasn't the person they thought I was because I was trying to be something that I thought they wanted. Does that make sense? And you weren't even showing up as who you were. No, God, no. I was out of my body. <laughs> Barely. Yeah. Quite lovable out of my body. <laughs> so this brings up another one about, about the, the need and desire for acceptance. And I suspect that also gets entangled with a lot of other kinds of emotions. I have to tell you, I work with a lot of people who have issues with criticism and if they grew up with critical parents or critical teachers or whoever, critical coaches or whatever, they you know they become human pincushions, basically. And they end up in relationships. Hey, careful. You're talking to acupuncturists here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe why they like needles so much. But the thing is, I, I think that um, they get in relationships sometimes where they're trying to get validation. But when you're looking for validation for someone else, you leave yourself really vulnerable then to, to, to being um, less than yourself because you're going to want their approval on everything, you know? And so I, I think that the whole point for me in terms of someone's, you know, being their, their mandate from heaven or their destiny or their golden path, whatever you want to call it, is for you to be as much of you as you can be. And this is why mm-hmm. self-awareness is so valuable. You know, knowing who you are and how you feel and, you know, what you're supposed to do. It's like people can't do a lot to you. For example, one of the issues I- Without your permission. Yes, without your permission. They can't do a lot to you without your permission. Right. And and so, for example, there's a lot of projection out there. And so if I were to say to you, for example, oh, my God, you're so stubborn, right? Well, is that a bad thing? Like, what's wrong with being stubborn? I'd like to think of it as persistence. Yeah. So what's wrong with that? Is it because I'm not getting my way, making you do something I want you to do that you don't want to do? It's like, is that okay? And, and maybe I'm stubborn and I don't like my own stubbornness, so I, I tell you it's not good because- I've been told mine's bad. You know, there's a projection thing going there. But if I own my own stubbornness, I go, God, you're so stubborn, but so am I. Or, you know, or, or, I'm, or I'm being pushy. Or you could actually have that recognition that it's it's more about you than about the other person, you know? And that's that's the value of knowing your own emotions and your own, I think, constitution, mm-hmm. uh, emotional constitution. And to, and to appreciate those parts of yourself. And we are both stubborn and we are both persistent, by the way, <laughs> because we have good chins. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I once said to someone because someone said to me you're so stubborn i said good thing i am because you're a bulldozer and if i weren't stubborn you'd be bulldozing me you'd be dozing me like you'd be like running over me and, and he stopped and went what in recent years the saam acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five-element and six-chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles 
it's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of chi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. You know, I, I, I'm glad you bring this up. This is something I've noticed in my practice mm-hmm. that people will talk about parts of themselves mm-hmm. in a very critical and negative light. Terrible way. Yeah. And, and so often as I listen to them and, and I'm hearing about how their life's unfolding and like the things that they do or that they like to do or the kind of job they have. Right. And then they're talking about this one part in a very critical way. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, that's your superpower. You're exactly right. Now you're way ahead of that's, that. That is not the thing that's wrong with you. Yeah. This is the thing that's right about you. You're exactly right. And this is where when you have what's called the dark night of the soul, which by the way takes four to six years, I call it walking the shadow side of the moon, but it's, it's a really difficult time. <laughs> when you go through that stuff, what you find out about is who you are under in crisis, which is like tells you the most about who you are. And then you find out that some of the things you didn't like about yourself were the most valuable things about you. And then when someone says to me, so, Oh, you're this way. I go, yeah, yeah, I am. You know, or, or no, I'm not. I remember one time I was talking with someone who was mad at me and he said, you're this, I forgot what he said I was. And I stopped and I go, no, no, I'm not. And he goes, yes, you are. I go, no, no, I'm not. I know myself really well. No, that's not me. He goes, yes, it is. I go, no, that's not me. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't allow it. Okay. I'm really frustrated. I go, you might want to look in the mirror. I was trying to be subtle, <laughs> which didn't go over well. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes there's no way to have it go well. <laughs> no, but really there was a projection going on that I wouldn't accept and it was probably the first time in my life that I wouldn't take something in from somebody who said, you're this and go, oh, am I, am I really like that? Cause I, I come to a place through a really big crisis where I said, no, that's not me. I know a lot about yeah. me. That's not me. You know? yeah. And that's kind of beautiful. It feels good. Yes, it does. Yeah. It's like, I don't have to take that. <laughs> cause yeah. It's not true. And then because yeah, awesome. if there was a seed of it that was in you and it was unexplored or unexamined or entangled with something else, right. you could go, well, yeah, he, yeah, there is that. Right, right. But when you're clear about where it is. I sometimes joke about this one, this particular one I'm telling you right now. Um, I apparently have the ability to hold a grudge, which I've worked on for a long time, right? So I don't actually get mad easily, but when someone's really hurt me, I tend to hold on to it, right? And I have to say, I looked at it for a long time because someone said, oh, you, 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 you like vengeance. I go, no, I, I don't ever do anything to anybody. But I have to admit, this is something I don't like to admit, but I'll just admit it to all you people out there. I sometimes enjoy someone's instant karma a bit too much, the person who harmed me. <laughs> 
it's like I, I didn't do anything, but it's like something happens to them, and I go, oh wow, and I'm thinking, ooh, and I don't. That's actually something I don't like about myself very much, but it's like I I, I do that sometimes. It's like, yeah. So luckily, yeah. I don't do anything. I just like watch it and kind of go, oh, you know, with a little bit, like, oh, it's like that's I don't like that. Thing. So, but if I know that about me, someone can say, oh, you're so vengeful. I go, no, I'm not. I have this. This is this is what I what I can do. I can enjoy someone's instant karma too much <laughs> because I got hurt, and I think that they should like see how it feels. As my young fifteen year old niece likes to say, karma is real, bro. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it it really is. And sometimes it's not fast enough for me, but I but I <laughs> I kind of got gotten over most of it. I, I'm working on this this trait, by the way. <laughs> not fast enough. That's great. You know, it it is actually, I think, very helpful and healthy to know what we're working on. Absolutely. It's like, I would never claim to be like, you know, fully baked, you know, it's like, I, there's always stuff to work on. It's like, we have our whole lives to get to know ourselves. And I think I love that saying from the Tao Te Ching the most, I'm going to paraphrase, of course, I don't quote anything well, but it says something like, um, to know others is to become wise and to know yourself is to become enlightened. And mm. this is where we're we're doing this this trip, this road trip, right? To find out all about ourselves, like yeah. really know yourself, to know myself. Well, it, it it's funny that you should bring up the word cooked because originally I wanted to talk to you about your book and cooking and yangsheng and and stuff like that. But Lillian, it's it's already an hour almost, and there's still a question that I was going to ask you in the beginning, okay. but I haven't gotten to it yet, so. We, we may have to talk about food another day. Absolutely. We can always do another talk. No problem at all. So as I was sitting down and thinking about, ooh, I get to talk to Lillian Bridges today. What do I want to talk about? Because this is kind of how I roll. I don't have like a script and a million things. It's like, oh, Lillian Bridges. So like, what's up? What do I want to talk to her about? You know, I put myself on, on, the, on the hot seat right. when I do these. And what came up for me today Again, we're you know we're in the midst of COVID nineteen, so that that's a kind of a journey of sorts. And I've read your book. Mm-hmm. I have to keep going back and looking at it again and again. It's and, kind of dense. Um, <laughs> and and well, there, it's just that there's a lot there. And thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Because it's because it, it it's helpful. And every now and then, I sit down in my clinic and I, without even trying, I'll look at somebody and I and I'll see something. I'll just be like, oh. There it is. Cool. Right. It just, yeah, it is cool. So so thank you so much awesome. for that contribution. I really appreciate it. What I was thinking about earlier today is we're all trying to like navigate and figure our way through a time that is unlike any time any of us have lived through. Mm-hmm. The word navigation came to mind. Because mm-hmm. I it's like, you know, and you work with this thing, you know, this golden path and Ming and all this. And so the word navigation came to mind. It's like, how do you navigate? through difficulties. And then this other word came up and I just want to toss this out to you and just see what it rings for you. Cause I think there's navigation, which means you kind of have a map and you kind of have an idea and you probably got some landmarks, maybe even a star chart and some tools to know how to use it. <laughs> but sometimes you're even more, I don't know if lost is the right word, but let's just say lack of orientation. And so for me, the word wayfinding came up. It's like, how do you wayfind? How do you seek a path when the usual ways of tracking things mm-hmm. and making sense of things 
are no longer available. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you have any ideas about that. That's a really good question. It's very deep, actually. I probably have lots of things I could say about that, but let's let's start with something. And and and, and we have as much time as we need. Okay, cool. Um, and this is what I spend most of my life doing: is talking to people about how to find their way. I I, I often say that there's this river of life that we spend most of our lives trying to get back to after we've been socialized. And I think it's the red and do channels combined, you know, on the face, that's the center of the face is called the river of life, by the way. And so most of the markings that are in the middle are the most important because it means your life has changed in some way. And right now we're in one of those times where our lives are changing and we have to kind of reorient. And I, I think this is where I, I want people to really recognize that they know, they always know, why they're here always it's just sometimes they need help refinding that and and it's not about um seeking pleasure in, in a way it's about but it is about seeking the kind of joy that that um how do i explain it it's the kind of joy that's embodied so it's not just a feeling sense in terms of like an emotion like oh, i'm so happy because that's actually very light but it's like it's like a, a, a body a complete body sense of joy mm-hmm. that you're doing something that you're meant to be doing like you wouldn't you wouldn't rather be anywhere else than where you are at that moment in time yeah and mm-hmm. and i think your body has a, a lot of wisdom that we don't pay attention to i mean the, the way that I was raised, the way that I, that I think, you know, may not be, uh, well, I know it's not very ordinary, that's for sure. But I, I will say. Lucky you. <laughs> well, in my family, it's okay. It's normal. But, but you know, we, I, I was taught that we have the exact body that we're supposed to have with all the talents that we're supposed to use, that we have everything that we need to be who we're supposed to be in this life and to, to bring through what we're supposed to bring through. So there's nothing missing. So when you start thinking about how to change things about yourself, well, I think I don't believe in change. I believe in going in and finding new stuff or, or growing, but I don't believe in changing. That makes any sense. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me to become something different. You have to become more you or a stronger you. And so I, I have to give people back their faith in themselves and their own knowingness that they sometimes forget to pay attention to because we listen too much to other people. And we, Oh, and, and we're so encouraged to look externally. Yeah, You've got this bad feeling, go buy this thing. Oh, you got this emotion, take this drug. I, I mean, we even do it with acupuncture. Oh, I, I'm stressed out. Well, you better take those herbs. Yeah. And so the thing is though, when I started looking at the idea that we have the exact body that we are supposed to have. I, I used to mm-hmm. really be upset the fact that I, I'm I'm not weak. I'm delicate. I'm like bone china. Okay, you just need to hand wash me and don't put me in the dishwasher. Basically, I, I'm not. I'm not. You know, <laughs> I'm not sickly. I'm just not tough. You know, and I, I mm-hmm. really was upset about that. But I thought to myself, with the spirit that I have, which is unfortunately pretty kick-ass, um, although I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing. If I had a body that was as tough as my spirit, I think I'd be a terribly scary woman. But instead, I've been given like, you know, a more gentle voice and a kind of a delicate constitution. So I can't be this tough person, but I can say things in a way that people look at me and kind of go, she's not scary. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm not like intimidating. And so I thought, well, maybe I am supposed to have this like delicate body that needs to be hand washed. You know, (laughs) I mean, I used to be really upset about that. And, and I find peace with a lot of the ways that I am and a lot of things that I can and can't do. So I don't do a lot of 
mathematical and numerical stuff because my brain doesn't work that way. I, I hire people to do that stuff. I have a very good accountant. He's perfectly happy with me giving him a whole bunch of stuff to, to, to fix and organize and, and calculate. He's perfectly happy. You know, because why should I spend so much time trying to become mathematical when it's not my nature? Do you see? So I think we, we waste a lot of time trying to be something that we're not. And, mm-hmm. and instead, I'm really good with words. I'm really good with feelings. I'm good with other things. I'm really good at those things. So why wouldn't I do that more? And why why be upset that I'm not mathematical when I'm mystical <laughs> you know so, so I, I look at that I, I want people to like really accept themselves that's what that's one of my goals mm-hmm. and in these terrible times that's this is the time to accept yourself it, it, and it's such a lovely I'm just kind of taking this in um because I'm a short skinny male with a big nose lucky you okay well you know, but when you but when I when I look out in the world at like advertising, for example, I never see me. Yeah. Which in some ways is great because it's like, oh, I, I'm a little more impervious to advertising because I don't see image. It's like, well, I can't strive for that. I could never be that. I don't have that kind of body. <laughs> so I can just forget about that. But there's a lot that I think all of us, you know, as humans, you know, we, we grow up and I'm supposed to be this or supposed to be that, or I wish I was this or wish I was that. And what you said about, we've got the perfect body to bring forth the gifts that we have. And you talking about that, you've got this really powerful spirit. If you put that in a high octane body. I'd be an Olympic athlete. (laughs) Well, I mean, you could, and you could use those powers for good, but you might also use those powers maybe not for so much good. You might, you, you might run yourself off the rails with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, there was a, there's a, I took a class recently. I'm not going to mention the person's name, but this, this person is fiercely intelligent, Mm -hmm. wickedly, fiercely, brilliantly, articulately intelligent. And if this person had a little more wood energy, they it would it would be hard to stay in their presence. They would be terrifying. But this person has magnanimous, magnificent, tremendous amounts of pericardium energy. Mm-hmm. So this person is wickedly intelligent, fiercely wickedly intelligent with kindness. Oh, that's lo- what a lovely combination. Mm-hmm. And you can take that. And so, spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. It, it, yeah. Mary Poppins' wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually true. Right? It is true. And so thank you for the appreciation that I've got the body that is just right for bringing forth my particular temperament and gifts. So I have a cousin who's pretty much built like you. And he told my mom one time he wished he was tall and, you know, all, all these things, right? And, and he actually is balding. And she said, first of all, you'll never find a bald beggar. Men who are balding have extra testosterone. You're very lucky to have that. <laughs> you'll be successful. Then she said, and when you are shorter, you're like a coiled spring. Think about that. That's all she said. Mm-hmm. Like a coiled spring. Think of all the possibilities that a coiled spring can do. Like, boing. Right? And he got so happy. He goes, you mean it's a good thing? She goes, oh, it's very lucky. She, she told him. He's a coiled spring. That's what people who are shorter have that bounce. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's a bounce. Yeah, yeah, I, I do. <laughs> it's a coiled spring. Yeah, I do. And that's an amazing way of using wood. 
Mm-hmm. See? Wonderful. So you have exactly what you need to be who you are in this world. It's not easy because I, I actually struggled with that for a very long time, thinking this was wrong, that was wrong. I, mean, I was very influenced by society, by you know fashion makers. I was in the fashion industry. I was in acting for when I was younger. I was in fields that made you feel like everything was wrong. I go out for an audition. I go, oh, you're too this. Oh, you're too that. It's like, you're not enough of this. You know, and, and I felt wrong and bad. And I went, wait a minute, I can't be wrong and bad about everything, right? What's good? And I started really looking at what's good. And the older I get, the more I appreciate exactly what I was, what I have and what I was given to, to do. I think this is one of the gifts of age. Oh, yes. Wonderful. I, I really do. And, and again, I'm struck by something you said earlier in our conversation. After the age of 60, you cannot use your will to do what's not helpful for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a hard transition, actually. It's like, wait, wait, whoa, uh, I, what's going on? <laughs> Why can't I do that? Well, for me, the gift in that, it's not that I don't get to use my will. It's not that I don't get to do things. I just have to be in alignment with it. Yes, it's the higher will, the will that can't be willed. It's it's, it's the will of the it's the will that can't be willed. And that's a, it's. I mean, that's that's one of my favorite sayings from Ted Kapchuk. It's, it's just great. It's it says it all. It's like that's that's from the mean. That says this is the will that allows you to become your best self. It's why you're here. And and by the way, speaking of aging, mm. if you there's a book. Um, it's called Immortal Sisters, um, Secrets of Taoist Women, I think. And it's a really interesting book, and the commentary is quite good in that one. And one of the things I talk about is fulfilling your worldly obligations before you can, can become your most spiritual self, your most um, productive self. So, you know, raising those kids or working for someone else or taking care of your aging parents or all that stuff, you know, that at some point you kind of go, wait, wait, it's just me. It's like my life. And it's like, that's when you're the freest. That's actually when you are supposed to be the most productive. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know in the Jewish tradition that not everyone studies Kabbalah. Some do. Most don't. But if you're going to study Kabbalah, it's after you've had a family and a business. And it's after you've done your worldly responsibilities and you're capable of doing like embodied reality. Then, then you get to mess with the other stuff. But messing with it before that, not such a good idea. It's not going to get you very far because you're not going to get it. You have to have some experience, you know, and you have to have suffered mm-hmm. some things to stop suffering as much. <laughs> <laughs> like stop suffering. Well, it's kind of as much. I I'm not suffering from this whole thing that's happening right now. I'm not, and people are astonished that I'm not suffering. It's like I'm I'm just not. It's like. Maybe it's because I'm very watery. As, as you know, my knees are good, but the, the water elements kind of goes, yeah, okay, whatever. It's like, I'll just go along. Yeah, whatever. I'll flow with that. Yeah. I have had, I had a little epiphany the other day that I'm still, wor- I'm still working through it. It was like one of those things where it kind of shakes everything and you go, oh, okay, I'll pay attention. Since this happened and I closed my clinic, what, six weeks ago, I've been sleeping really well. I mean, by and large, sleeping really well. Oh oh my God, you'll be ready to go really soon. Okay. Well, here's the thing. The other day I was, you know, a lot of people saying, oh, I'm essential. I, you know, I should be out there. We should be open. And I'm thinking to myself, nope, I'm not ready to do it. I'm enjoying not seeing patients as much as I love my work. And I am deeply grateful for my work. I feel it's a privilege to do my work. And there's a lot that it gives me. I realized last week I had this deep, 
sense of having been unburdened because I'm not seeing patients. And, and at first I was like, wait a minute, that's uncomfortable. What's up with this burden? Right. And it's like, okay, I've been shouldering and, and I willingly shoulder the burden because there's, there, there's always a, a shadow piece sure. that, that can be helpful to look at. And I just realized there's this sense of burden that's gone along with my work. And this is a great time to sit with that and see what happens. And then when you go back, you'll be rested. I mean, people don't understand we're give, being given a chance to rest. It's like I'm not going back till I'm rested. Yeah, people are are, are we're burnt out, and this is a chance mm-hmm. to get over burnout. It's like how wonderful is that? I mean, the whole world got put on pause. You know, it's like oh, that's the kind of a cool thing. I I very much feel that way. Me too. I, I am grateful for the pause. Me too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know what comes next, and that that you know, not knowing does create some anxiety. Well, control is an illusion, you know? <laughs> so, so I think we're learning that we can't control everything and we can't plan the way we want to plan it. And maybe that's a really good thing. You know, sometimes we plan too much. Yeah. And then we get, we get in our own way because things have to unfold. And I think people have had some interesting realizations in the past six weeks. I'm kind of hoping we get a little bit longer to go. Well, and I think we, I think we can choose it to some degree. Yeah. yeah. I, I want that 56 days to feel how, how different it is when you don't do it the way you used to do it. We're not there yet. That's a long time, 66 days. I like that. 66 days. All right. That's, you know what? That's the number I'm going to shoot for. I like well, that. Actually, one of my students, um, Stella, I can't remember her last name right now. Um, she lives in Los Angeles, but she's the one who told me that. And it's your body wants homeostasis all the time. And at 66 days, when you when you stop doing something, it creates a new homeostasis. But if you if you go back to the way you were within that 66 days, you just start over again. So I'm kind of hoping to go 66 days with this and see what happens when I don't work the way I used to work. I like it. That that's really helpful. I'm I'm with you on that, Lillian. We can check back maybe in a couple of months and 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 see where things are at, and we'll talk about food. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you so much. It's always such a pleasure to hang out with you. It's it's delightful talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. You know, one of the things that I really love about Chinese medicine is that I can sit down for a conversation with someone like Lillian, who studied face reading, but she hasn't studied medicine in the same way that we've studied medicine. And yet, because we're speaking a common language through the five phases, We can completely understand each other and the perspective that we have to share. I hope that you've enjoyed this conversation with her. I always love sitting down and having a chat with her. And I come away thinking about how we are connected in our bodies and our mind and our spirit in so many ways. You know, often we learn in school and we read in different books about how things are connected when I sit down for a conversation with Lillian, I really feel that kind of integration that uh, is spoken to, but often not felt. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.